Are you looking for a new math curriculum? CTC Math specializes in providing online video tutorials that take a multi-sensory approach to learning, creative graphics and animation synchronized with the friendly voice of internationally acclaimed teacher Pat Murray makes learning math easy and effective. Favorably reviewed and Kathy Duffy's 103 top picks and the Old Schoolhouse Crew review. The lessons are short and concise to help your child break down concepts and appreciate math in a whole new way. Visit ctcmath.com today to start your free trial. That's ctcmath.com. Hey friends, welcome back. Today's episode goes down a little bit of a theoretical path at the beginning, but I hope you'll hang in through the end. Melissa and I are thinking a lot about the audience that listens to this podcast and what we've discovered from surveys and reading your comments and checking up on your Instagrams, etc., is that a large number of you are either millennials or you are very young Gen Xers. And as such, there are some characteristics that are being slung around through the media about you that seem to inform how everyone treats you. And today, what Melissa and I did for the last couple of weeks is we did a deep dive into generational theory to try and wrap our arms around some of the unique demands and struggles that you're facing as home educators within those two generational paths. Our goal is advocacy. We think you're awesome. We think you're badasses. I know for a fact that anyone who chooses to homeschool has a kernel of self-confidence. You wouldn't take it on if you didn't. So today, we're going to peel back those layers. We're going to look at the different generations, how they've related to homeschooling, and what are some of the positive skills that you already possess that will support you in this journey. I also hope that you give yourself a ton of grace. Remember, Every generation that has come to homeschooling is a bit of a renegade in the culture in which they live. And because of that, I already know that you have the chutzpah, the imagination, and the capacity to mark and forge a path that is exactly right for you and your family. I'm excited for you to tune in today. So let's get started. Thanks for joining us. Oh, and by the way, if you haven't subscribed yet, And if you aren't following us, please do at any of your podcast locations. Uh, When you like and review us and subscribe, it helps support the podcast. And that's one of the ways we can keep it going. So thanks for joining us and let's dive in. Lisa! Hi, Julie. (laughs) Say hello to all the pretty people out there listening to us. Hello, everybody. Yay! We're so glad you're back. Thank you for the amazing feedback you've been giving us about our new partnership. We couldn't be more thrilled. In fact, what happens, Lisa, when we get on the Zoom call? We start talking and talking and talking, and then you go, oh my gosh, we need to hit record. (laughs) I'm like, don't waste that story. We want it on the (laughs) podcast. I'm also quite aware after listening to our show, Lisa, 
that I yell the whole time. <laughs> so today I'm going to use my NPR voice. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we keep we're, it low. We're going to try and not, you know, blow out your eardrums while you're out jogging. Okay. This is going to so, last five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I'm I, guaranteed. So Lisa, I've been hearing from you and I've also been hearing from our audience that there was a lot of feedback to the chat GPT episode. What did yes. you have to share today? So I get some really interesting feedback from a friend of mine whose husband is a copywriter at a at a marketing firm. And um, he has found that he can now just like sort of enter some parameters into chat GPT and it gives him back a starting point um, for him to, you know, refine into really good copy um, that would have taken a junior copywriter like a week to do. And and I, I wrote back, I was like, oh, that's really, really interesting. It makes me feel kind of bad for the junior copywriters. <laughs> um, <laughs> like what happens to that on-the-job training and what happens also to the institutional knowledge um, of someone like her husband with, you know, a high skill level um, if, if you know, there aren't those younger generations getting the hands-on. And she, it was such an interesting conversation. She pointed out that she graduated from college with a degree in recording engineering right at the point in time when um, Pro Tools came out and musicians were able to do their own sort of sound engineering. And so she had trained for a career that suddenly <laughs> didn't, didn't completely exist anymore. So I thought that was really interesting in the context of where we are in this point in time. And it just emphasized for me how it's going to be important for us to teach our kids like how to ask really good prompts. It's a, it's a very sophisticated search engine, but it's not perfect. So you also have to be able to like take what it gives you and make it. it, it that's just the bare starting point. But then also you have to check it because it might not be accurate what it's telling you. And it gives you no source, no sources. This was the thing that I was really noticing. And I imagine the tool will be refined on this basis. Like I am thinking that at some point you're going to see a little set of footnotes every time you have text generated that contains any kind of documentation. Because as it stands right now, you're being given data, but you have no way to trace whether or not it's inaccurate. So you came across a use of chat GPT that brought up misinformation that was related to today's episode. Isn't that right? That is right. And today's topic that we want to look at, and I'm so glad that you're all here to talk about it with us. We're very excited about it, is we want to look at what it takes to be a homeschooler based on which generation you're a part of. And I'm sure you've all heard words thrown around like boomer, Gen X, millennial, Gen Z. What do these mean? How are they relevant to you? But how do they look when you take on this very um, sort of risky and institutionally challenging practice of home education? When you go against the societal expectations, what does that look like in each of the generations? So, Melissa, you were sort of tasked with looking this up. What did you find out through ChatGPT? So, I asked ChatGPT, what are the four generational archetypes? 
because that was a sort of starting point for our discussion. And it gave me an answer that was incorrect. And because I had some knowledge already, I knew that it was incorrect, but it presented it as completely authoritative. Um, it said that the four generational archetypes were um, silent generation, boomers, Gen X, and millennials. Well, those are four generational nicknames, and each of those generations fits into one of the four archetypes, but those aren't the archetypes. That is something different. What is an archetype? <laughs> so the idea of generational archetypes, um, and I want to say that a lot of what I know, I learned from those incredible podcasts that you recommended to me from the Personality Hacker podcast, um, the co-hosts, Joel Mark Witt and Antonia Dodge, were really digging into this idea of generational archetypes. This is an idea that was developed by William Strauss and Neil Howe um, in the late 80s and the 90s. And they wrote a bunch of books. Um, it's sort of where we get our, our framing of like boomers, baby boomers and Gen X. I think they were calling them 13ers at first. But they saw it not just as these specific generations that we know and are surrounded by right now. They saw it more as a, a series of generation types that cycle through. So there were these four types. And the, the prophet generation, so this would be our baby boomers, idealists, uh, and Julie, jump in anytime you want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, my favorite thing about the boomers is that they feel confident in their own voices. They feel like if they speak something, they can speak it into being. They sort of trust institutions. This is kind of, I mean, we have to, one of the things that did stand out to me when we were listening to some of this information is I felt it was somewhat white centric. Did you notice that when you were listening? Like, I definitely did. I felt like Antonia did try to contextualize and say that looking at generational theory is a generalization. Yes. And that there are many other ways to generalize. And that whenever you're talking about culture, you are sort of drawing some broad stroke conclusions about a group of people based on some set of um, experience that is similar. Yes. Um, but I do think that, I, I mean, I would say that generational theory, all of it is is quite white centric. Um, definitely like American Amer this is American culture that they're defining. And of course, this is also what gets marketed to you through television and through right. media and, and all of that. And so we're not here to prescribe anything. We're here to uh, report a description others have made. That's right. Um, but we do feel that there is some value and we're going to get to the value. So don't get overworked by some of this <laughs> language. Uh, but go ahead and walk us through at least the um, birth year ranges and okay. the archetypes for the four that we'll look at today, which are the boomers, the millennials. I mean, oops, sorry. The boomers, Gen <laughs> X. Forgot Gen X. <laughs> I know. What a shock. <laughs> <laughs> boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z. All right, go ahead, my dear Gen X friend. I, by the way, recently reclassified as a Gen X. It was a shock to me. All right, go ahead. So these are the groupings. Um, so boomers are born 1943 to 1960. So that's that profit archetype. Gen X born 1961 to 1981. 
So yeah, I'm smack in the middle. I'm right at the beginning. (laughs) Gen X would be the nomad archetype. And we'll dig in more to what all of this means, right? Um, Millennials uh, born 1982 to 2004. That's the hero archetype. And then Gen Z would be born from 2005 on, and that's the artist archetype. And there's like some people do include like another the alpha generation um, as the the after Gen Z, but um, Strauss and um, Howe in their groupings, they had them grouped together under what they call the homeland archetype or, or homeland generation, but that name didn't stick. Gen Z. <laughs> <laughs> Much better. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. They'll probably be called the TikTok generation before it's all over if you ask right? me. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those dates, like you mentioned, have shifted from the age ranges that they used to talk about. Right. Where they like extended boomers to 1964. But they rethought that it had to do with like life expectancy was was lengthening and there are a lot of factors. And divorce rates, that had a big, big uh, divorce rates were a big part of defining Generation X. And interestingly, I was telling Melissa before we got started, I was raised almost like two people. The first part of my life, very boomer style childhood, you know, very upper middle class suburbs and tennis club and great education and two parents married and very nice home and all of those things. And then at the end of high school, my parents got divorced and I was suddenly an orphan. I had no bedroom to go home to. My parents moved in with different people and they each had their own homes. I had no, you know, at school breaks. I just stayed at school in college and I became very nomadic, ironically. So I always feel like I am bicultural in those two ways. I can really identify. But divorce was a big part of this Gen X definition because part of what Gen X is known for is being latchkey either because of divorce or two working parents. And the feeling was that they are self-reliant. They've had to develop all their own competencies. Is that what you understood as well? Yes, yes. And that that can lead to a tendency to see others around them as incompetent um, and to be impatient when people don't just figure it out because you are used to just jumping in and figuring things out for yourself. Um, So, yes. And so the millennials, which archetype are they? They're the hero archetype. And so it's really interesting to look at how millennials and and boomers intersect with that because boomers were like, they forecast this visionary past. They like spoke truth (laughs) and a vision into being and and expected things to stay that way. And millennials, it's like millennials, their experience was one of buying into that system, following all of the rules, and then coming of age at exactly the point when it crumbled and the promises weren't delivered on. And so that is this defining generational experience for millennials. And one of the things that we've discovered through this journey, and it's something I'm just obsessed with right now, and I'm going to lay my cards on the table for why (laughs) I'm obsessed with it. And it's this, millennials have boomer parents or older Gen X parents like me. 
And they have a massive critique based on this, what felt like a broken promise that if I went to school, followed the rules, got my degree, took out these loans, I too would have a house in the suburbs and a a life and a job I could count on. And of course, we know today that isn't really how it's working out. They're saddled with debt and they're worried about climate and they don't know if they can buy a house and their jobs are insecure. And there's this feeling that, that the promises weren't delivered on. And then interpersonally with their parents, they've grown up with therapy speak. And so they have this great capacity. And I, I say they, but I'm really talking to you, our audience who are mostly millennials. Right. Some of you are also Gen X, but it is a large group of you. And there's a lot of anger. This is um, one of the things that really typifies this generation. It's a it's a self-righteousness, the, but it's also like, the hero is the good side, which is I will save the world. And so one of the issues that's happening is the boomers are feeling completely accused by the angry young millennials. And the millennials are feeling unseen and unheard. Have you got that understanding as well? Yes, I think that's a lot of what I'm hearing just in conversation around <laughs> around the internet right now and in conversations with friends as well, right? That there is this deep sense of anger, almost betrayal. I would say that Wit and, and Dodge touch on that. And uh, in the podcast that we're referring to, they were interviewing their millennial staff member, Christian Rivera. And he had a really interesting take on like the shadows of each generation, which would be like the heavy bag that you're dragging behind. And I think that what you're talking about, Julie, is like for millennials, that shadow is, is loaded up with that anger, that sense of betrayal, um, almost like they were deceived. They they were told the world would work a certain way and then it didn't. And that there's a, so Christian, Christian named the shadow as a denial of inner authority. And that's where the real challenge is, is like standing, like stepping up and saying, okay, so here's where we are right now. What do I do about it? Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. (laughs) I keep getting asked, where do I start, Julie? What do I start with, with Brave Writer? You know, the best answer I can give you is this. If you're at the point where your child can read and handwrite, what you want to do is use my writing manual called Growing Brave Writers. It really takes you soup to nuts from making marks on the page all the way to editing a final draft of any paper your child writes. Whether your child is a reluctant writer or someone who enjoys writing, Growing Brave Writers is the place to start. Use discount code GBWPOD10, the number 10, GBWPOD10 to get 10% off when you order. You know, this is why I thought it would be a powerful topic for homeschooling. And so the fact that you're still listening to this podcast after (laughs) all this heavy theoretical conversation is a testament to just how smart you actually are. I told Melissa, I kind of wanted to name this uh, podcast, 
Millennials, do you know what they're saying about you out there? Because one of the things that really was striking to me was how often millennials are treated as though they don't know what they're doing or that they need hand-holding or babying or that they need to be coddled to or that they're the generation of entitlement. And I got to say, I just don't think that's true. The millennials, I know, maybe I'm over in this weird niche of homeschooling where people have to take some inner authority just to get out of the school system. But since that's the audience of this podcast, since that's Mm -hmm. you, our gorgeous Brave Writer community, here's what I want you to know that I know about you. you. What you're really looking for is authenticity. You're looking for a place where you can land and speak your truth and be heard and seen. And while you are performing at a heroic level, taking on this very big challenge, that you're allowed to complain about it. (laughs) It's okay for you to both do it and not believe you're good at it and yet keep going. And I think that is the hero's journey. You know, if we've watched any Disney films uh, at all, and I always go to Disney because there it is. It is a person who lacks confidence, who is thrust on a journey. That's not one you necessarily chose for yourself, right? The hero's journey is thrust upon you most of the time. And you should have some opportunities to complain by the campfire. You shouldn't just (laughs) do it without any complaining, which maybe is more of a silent generation boomer legacy. I don't know. What do you think, Liz? I think that's really interesting. And I think definitely... um take it from the Gen Xers, like (laughs) snarking about things is a big relief and it lets you get on with it. Right. It does. I will say this though. And here's, what's really funny. It's an interesting counterpoint. When I was having kids, there was a series of books. I was in a more religious context at the time. And the focus was on this idea that you should not plan your family, that you should let God plan your family. And Mm. I ended up having five kids that way and very happily so. But here was the way that they promoted it. I remember saying to my mother, you know, I'm not going to use birth control. I'm just going to have as many kids as I can. And my mother, who had been raised Catholic, said, we tried that. It didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, yeah, if you're trying not to have children, it doesn't work. But if you're trying to have children, it works great. And my the, the way that I was enrolled in this vision was that children were a blessing. Children were wonderful. Being a parent was a wonderful thing to be. And I have to say, despite all the challenges of parenting, and there were millions of challenges, let's all be fair and honest about it, I was guided and kept by a fundamental belief that being a mother was actually a very high calling and that children were inherently valuable, that they were not just something that stood in the way of my actualization and development. They were actually key to it, that they provided a kind of rich opportunity for me to be the complete human I needed to be, and that they themselves were inherently valuable. So sometimes... I think what you hear from my generation of parent, particularly if you're in the homeschool space and you've been around homeschooling parents, maybe you're second gen, maybe you've talked to people my age, um, there is a kind of what looks like phony denialism around the hardships 
because we were enrolled into a program that put a lot of faith in who children are as valuable, which helped us. And what I'm asking as a question for myself now is, what helps a millennial? Well, that's a really good question. Well, so one of the things that struck me in learning about generational archetypes and millennials and Gen Z is that they're community-oriented, whereas boomers and Gen X are more individual-oriented. And again, obviously a big generalization, but in terms of shared experience. And so it seems like that sense of community, of finding your support team is hugely important. I mean, it was important to us when we were you know, getting started as homeschoolers, right? And we connected on Yahoo groups like we talked about a few weeks ago and getting to know each other through the internet was a point of connection for us going in this this sort of lonely path because it wasn't as community (laughs) active as it is now. Um, So I, but what I think is that at the same time the community was developing, so was influencer culture. Yes. And that makes it really hard not to compare what you're doing with what other people are doing. And you see what they're doing and it looks amazing. And you think maybe I should be doing that. It's like, it just generates so much self-doubt. And it just made me really glad I didn't have pictures of people's homes for the first 10 years. Oh, a a thousand percent. In fact, when you just said that individual versus community, I think one of the things about the pre-internet world is it was a very bootstrappy culture, right? It was very much created from scratch and nobody's going to see your failures. You're going to feel them, but no one else is really going to witness them. You can be, you know, building the table and nobody will see you building the table. And if it fails, it fails. But now we're literally broadcasting our failures and our successes. My daughter, Katrin, who is right on the cusp of millennial and Gen Z, she said to me the other day, I just thought it was so brilliant. She said, mom, When you wanted to do something in your teens and 20s, you got a book and you used that one book. And if it wasn't a good book, it took you driving back to a library to find yet another book. She said, but for us, there is always a writer and better way, a moment away from us, one click away. So even if somebody hands you a manual, I thought this was great. She goes, you buy the table, it comes with a manual. And you think, should I read the manual or should I just go on YouTube and find someone else who's already read the manual and watch theirs? She goes, so then you start to watch theirs and you're two minutes in and you don't really like them. You're like, well, there's probably a better version of YouTube of this table with a different person. So I'm going to click on that one and watch two minutes of theirs. Pretty soon you have no table, but you've got six tabs open. And all these methods you could be trying and you haven't tried one. And it creates a kind of reluctance and paralysis around action. Whereas for me, you get one shot. There's a manual. You're either going to build the table or you're not going to build it, right? Like that was kind of my generation. Isn't that an interesting? I love that insight. And it's so true. It actually ties into the Gen Z as the sort of test iterative generation, the YouTube generation, where that is how Gen Z 
engages with knowledge. Oh, let me watch how this person did it, how this person did it. I'm going to watch a show and then I'm going to watch somebody's take on the show. I'm going to play a game. I'm going to watch somebody play the game. Yes, exactly. And in fact, it's one of the hacks that somebody told me to suggest to parents of small kids that they watch the YouTube (laughs) and then go do the thing before you watch the next one, right? Like to train yourself to actually participate and not only be a spectator, but getting back then to how this relates to homeschool, if you're a millennial, you might have, you might be second gen with a parent who's a boomer or a Gen Xer who has the recall of just making up things from scratch with no scrutiny and very few options. And here you are now with a very refined world of homeschooling, more curricula to choose from than you could ever have imagined, models and examples and YouTube channels everywhere, influencers who may or may not be qualified. They might just be good on camera and not really know what they're talking about related to any particular subject. And you're, you only have 24 hours in the same day I had, but now a lot of it's being used doing research that goes nowhere And then you run out of time to actually do something that would actually make you feel better about your homeschool. Right, right, right. I Sometimes I feel like the internet is the best and worst thing that could have happened to me as an artist. Mm. Because on the one hand, it, it provided a portal toward all kinds of learning. But on the other hand, it's really easy to just scroll through an Instagram feed and be like, oh, that's amazing. I want to try that. I want to try that. Oh, mine's not as good as that, you know? And I think that when that's happening with something that involves your children, Mm. it hits you in such a raw place. You're right about that. The other thing that struck me is that although millennials are oriented towards community, the lack of inner authority drives them to find somebody to follow. And they form community around a leader. And what they used in this podcast as an example was some people following Stacey Abrams, some following Jordan Peterson, right? So these are two different political spectrum ideals. But I started thinking about homeschooling. And I started thinking about all the varieties of influencers and curriculum leaders And the feeling is of needing to be attached to a community that has a leader. And where Gen Z is a little bit different is that they've grown up with influencers and celebrities, and they know anyone can be a leader. (laughs) They're less attached to like the official kinds of authorities and more attached to like this other level. But And they're young still, they're teenagers. But if I think of it that way, I think one of the ways I'd want to encourage our millennial homeschooling parents is to tap into your own sense of identification with whoever you see as that leader. What is it about that leader that's calling forth something that you have inside of you? It's not that they know, it's that you know, and you're seeing it in them. Let it be a mirror, like boomeranging back to your own level of competence. Right. Finding out what is speaking to you. Yes. And so something is resonating that is making you feel some way about what you're hearing. And then and then sitting with it and and trying things out. Well, one of the things I was going to say then is these millennial homeschoolers, you're already unique in your group. <laughs> you're already unique. You've already said no to the institutional path. 
That's so right. you've got an enormous amount of courage working for you already and a little bit of an independent streak. And so one of the things that I would love you to just know, kind of this is, you know, if you want it, I don't know if you want wisdom from the older generation or not, but since you're here, I'm just going to pass this on to you. You get to make mistakes. You do not have to be a perfect homeschooler. Perfectionism is the bill of goods that was sold to you by right. the older generation. That if you went to school, took AP classes, went to college, took out all these loans, got a good degree, found you know a person to marry and got a job, that somehow you would arrive in Shangri-La or some version of the American dream. Okay, we're all, some of you have even done all those things and you still feel like you're falling short. I understand that. But the the key here is to not be fixated on the perfect outcome, but to give yourself permission to actually have the adventure, the hero's adventure. Adventure is the word that I was looking for. I, It's exactly it. I knew that I wasn't going to do everything right. Um, I still know that I'm not doing everything right. And my kids can tell you places where I definitely have dropped some balls. Um, but I also knew that I wanted it to be fun and that above all, I wanted us to enjoy the time that we spent together. And that, I think, if you're starting with that sense of adventure, you know that on an adventure, there are going to be mishaps. Lisa, and- I, that is exactly right. In fact, I was looking at some writing I did a few years ago, and I found this one post, and I will repost it on Instagram. But this is what I wrote. Things I did poorly and they still turned out okay. So (laughs) I just want you to know, here are the things that I did not do well as a homeschooler and my kids are all amazing functional adults. Math is at the top of the list. (laughs) So I did math poorly and I have kids who all have done advanced mathematics and work in IT and computer programming. Bedtimes, Sunday meals, kitchen science experiments. These are things I did poorly and my kids still turned out all right. Remembering to go to piano lessons, picking up children on time from anywhere. <laughs> I am timelined. And before I had a phone with an alarm on it, and that was most of their childhoods, I was late all the time by a half hour sometimes because I literally forgot that they weren't at home. <laughs> I just, the worst mother ever. Home decorating, didn't care about it that much. Shopping sales, have never done it. Uh, lying on the bed, talking to my teens. That's not something I did. And I know that's like core suggestion to all parents and I just never did it. And then finally, I failed at sex ed. Those are things I did poorly and my kids turned out. I think sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves and here's what I'm wondering. Tell me what you think of this, Melissa. I feel like millennials are so focused on preventing trauma in their children, that they have become really tight in how they parent. Like, do you know what I mean? And I keep saying they, when I should be saying like you to the audience, but I I have so much respect for you that I don't want to accuse you of anything. But as a collective, there does seem to be a reaction to the mistreatment of their parents and a huge belief that they are absolutely capable of preventing all trauma from happening to their children. 
Right. And I think that if you look at how parenting norms have shifted over the past several decades, it's a whole different situation for millennial parents um, or, or like people like me, Gen X still parenting kids, right? Like I was one of those kids who, who got to roam the neighborhood <laughs> um, and nobody knew where I was for whole days. And that is not only doesn't feel safe anymore, but it can get you in trouble with the law now. That's true. Yes, that's um, so true. It's like there's a lot of eyes on your parenting and that's mm. got to contribute to that sense of the stakes being so high. What if I mess up? What if I'm doing something wrong? What if I choose the wrong curriculum or activity? Exactly. And in fact, there is, I've heard this now multiple times from um, homeschooling moms that I've had the privilege of talking with who are in their 30s and early 40s. And one of the universals is, how do I know that my child won't resent me for having chosen to homeschool them? How do I know I'm making the right choice on their behalf so that they won't later come back and tell me they're mad that I made that decision for them? And that living with that anxiety and trying to control that outcome is an impossible task mostly because parents always choose the educational model for their children. It's a choice to put them in school, frankly. Exactly. How do you know they won't resent that decision that you made on their behalf? Can we, Melissa, prevent our children from resenting us? Do you think that's possible? No, because that would mean that you did everything in a way that was the absolute best for every individual personality in your household. <laughs> That is exactly, it is not possible. And did you know that resentment is a right of being human? Resentment shows you your own values. It's one of the things. It helps you identify this is me and I'm not you. Now, I'm not saying we want to live in resentment. Resentment can lead to bitterness and addiction and all kinds of dysfunction. But for a child to be able to say, as one of mine did, homeschooling has ruined my chances to go to the Ivy League schools. It was like a moment for him to realize how much he wanted to go to an Ivy League school. And you know what? He ended up making it happen for law school. It worked out. But that was a moment he was able to differentiate himself from my values. And he was at an age where he could do that. If I took that as some kind of invalidation of all the parenting I had done to that point, it would have wrecked me. <laughs> We have to be able to stand with some confidence, but also openness. So confidence in a choice, we make openness to the fact that not everyone's going to agree with that choice. Right. In project management, they talk about how every project you say yes to means you're saying no to doing some other things. You're making those choices. Every book that I decide to read means there's a lot of books we're not going to get to with my kids, right? Every time I say, oh yes, this is a great rabbit trail. Let's go, let's follow it. It means there's some things that are going to slip by the wayside. That's part of the experience. It truly is. And I think when I hear, oh, millennials need handholding, they need babying, they are, you know, entitled and they're pouty. I mean, you know, there's, they have a bad work ethic. Like we hear all of these slanderous comments about millennials. And instead, I, what I see is 
really high ideals, like the highest ideals. And they're trying to figure out what is the relationship between accountability and my ideals? That's a hard one, isn't it? It is a hard one. And I feel like we've grappled with that question all along. Um, I know that in the early days of trying to sort of figure out who I was as a homeschooling mom, was I an unschooler? Was I a Charlotte Mason homeschooler? You have that wonderful thing about like, well, it depends on the season. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) Classical in the fall, Charlotte in the winter, and unschooling in the spring. When I, when I, developed this metaphor of title homeschooling. It was really a way of talking about understanding how things were working for me and therefore for my kids, because I was able to go all in with enthusiasm and joy um, by by allowing these shifts to happen that were necessary <laughs> for me. A hundred percent. And I think that's the the piece, if I could leave us with anything today, it's this everybody is going to give you more than you can possibly process in order to do a good job with parenting and educating. And your responsibility is not to sort through all of it, to find the rightest, truest, most correct solution to educating and parenting. It is to use what you have available right now to be in the present moment with your children. Yes. I love that, Julie. You gave me such a brainstorm. <laughs> I want to hear it. I could tell you were reacting. I'm like, what's she going to say? <laughs> well, you just reminded me of this, this point in time when I was on a meal delivery roster from someone who needed some meals. And I spent the afternoon making this incredibly wonderful meal for the person. And I delivered it. And then I went home and I fed my children Cheerios. <laughs> And it suddenly felt like, as you were speaking, that was a metaphor for the experience. Some days, one subject is going to be the Cheerios because you went all in on the other thing. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. That's why I was saying there are things I did poorly. There are things you will do poorly. You, it's not only that you only have to get it mostly right. It's actually that there is no right to get. There is what there is today. And yes, we are always having to make decisions. Do I buy this math program or that math program? I remember one of my dear friends who ran our 100 family co-op here in Cincinnati. And now she's a grandma and, and, you know, her kids are married. And we were sitting down talking and she said that she got into a conversation with one of her daughter's friends who was agonizing over what first grade math program to buy. And my friend Barb said, honestly, they all teach one plus one is two. (laughs) really just pick one. And I thought that's the wisdom of our age, being able to let you know that the things we get hung up on a lot of times in this attempt to do things right, prevent us from just having the experience that we're craving. And the experience of homeschool that most of us are craving is shared learning with our children, connection, the joy of seeing them light up instead of it happening at school, it happens at home. Will your kids learn to read? Oh my gosh, it's terrifying. It feels like they won't. It does. It feels like they won't. You are sitting there, you're patiently doing phonics. It doesn't seem like it's coming together. And then lo and behold, someday after you've done all this work, it does. And it might be as late as almost age 10. That was one of my kids. And as early in my family as age six, 
and everything in between. But this obsession with measurement and getting it right to avoid trauma or resentment will actually produce a really unhappy home. The very thing you're trying to avoid. Right, right. You're not teaching to a standardized test. You're teaching... Human beings. Yeah. That's right. You're teaching human beings and you're a human being and you're going to skip some stuff every year, (laughs) every single year. Jacob would make a list of all the ingredients we needed for these kitchen science experiments (laughs) and I would never buy them (laughs) because there was always some weird thing. I didn't know where to buy it, some kind of gauge of wire and I didn't know where to buy it. And instead of finding out I let it slide off my list of to-dos because there were other things I was better at. And that's what you're going to do too. You're going to lean into what you're good at. It's just natural. Yep. Play to your strengths. And that's where the fun is. Exactly. Any last thoughts for our lovely millennial homeschool moms? Oh my gosh. I love this topic, Julie. I feel like there's so much. I I have millennial children and Gen Z children, and it was really fun to talk about them leading up to this and to sort of hear where they, where they were. And one thing that's, that stood out for me was, um, the, the notion, and this came up in the, in the podcast we're talking about that, um, millennials, um, started out playing video games that were very linear. Ah, and with very clearly achievable goals, like Super Mario Brothers. Like That's you knew what true. the goals were and you knew what the objective was. And Gen Z plays more like sandbox games and they do custom builds. That's absolutely the case for my kids. And so my my advice to millennial parents would be to get in the sandbox. Oh, uh, that metaphor. I mean, that just goes to what we're saying. Quit looking for the linear build, right? The the linear, if I do these things, the outcome is guaranteed. I get to the next level, right? Right. If you get in the sandbox and you look around the corners and you imagine that there's a world you can build that's unique for your family and it, it makes use of these materials that are available, but it isn't following just this sequence and then you get to the end of Donkey Kong, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, and as a Gen X gamer girl, I am all about the sandbox games. <laughs> <laughs> that is fabulous. Fabulous metaphor. Lisa, this is a great topic. This is really fun. So <laughs> I can't wait to hear what people are going to, how people will respond to it. Same. And I, I just want to add that we have a t- we have an episode planned for next time where we're going to talk about in very concrete, practical terms, how much is enough? Because I know that's your question. How much writing is enough? How much math is enough? How much spelling is enough? How much art is enough? Let's tackle it. Let's go in and yes. uh, put some metrics against this stuff. I think you and I have some opinions and I think it's <laughs> going to be fun to explore them. What do you think? I'm really excited. When awesome. next week to come. I do too. I think it'll be great. Thank you, everyone. If you want to send us feedback, you can do that by calling us, well, calling us. Look at me. <laughs> That's the boomer in me. Call me on the phone. Um, text message us. We have an SMS just for the pod. I call it the pod ring. Um, And we will put that phone number in the show notes and you just text the word pod to us. We'll add you to it. And you can just let us know your feedback on this episode. You can also go to Instagram and leave feedback there for Melissa and me. And we will 
take that feedback and share it back on the next episode because we love doing that. Any last words, Melissa? This was awesome. Thanks, Julie. Thank you everyone for tuning in and we'll see you next time. One segment I wanted to add right here at the end of the podcast is answering some of your simple questions that get fired to our SMS text messaging or posted in Instagram comments. And I have one today that I thought was easy peasy to answer. How do you run a poetry tea time if your kids balk, especially if your kids are teenagers, like 14 or 17? Is it possible? Is there a way to invite them in that they don't roll their eyes and walk away from the table like, what is mom doing? So here's my tip. You lead without inviting them. Start your day with a poetry tea time for yourself. If you have teenagers, I highly recommend printing song lyrics for this private poetry tea time. And when your kids come downstairs and it's time to eat breakfast and then they're ready to start their school day, just let them know you're not ready to start because you're making tea and you wanted to ponder this song and these lyrics for a few minutes. Now, they may or may not sidle up depending on how suspicious they are of you and your good intentions. But for a lot of kids, They may be curious, well, why are you doing that, you know, Rihanna song? Why are you doing that rap song? Why are you listening to that music or looking at those lyrics? What is it about them that's interesting to you? And that's the beginning. Too often when we set up what we think will be a beautiful, pleasurable experience for our kids, we do it with so much presumption of their reaction that they shut down before they even participate because they don't want to feel responsible to make you feel good about yourself. But if you do things for yourself that you think would be meaningful for your kids, copy work, poetry tea time, reading thick novels, they will start to associate those activities with the cool adult in their lives and they will be much more likely to participate. Thanks for a great question, and we'll see you here next week. So glad you tuned in today. Just as a reminder, next week, we'll deep dive into what is enough? (laughs) How do you know you've done enough math? You've done enough spelling? You've done enough history? How do you know if your child has done enough, sat at the table long enough, written enough sentences, completed enough problems? How do you know you've covered enough for a child to go to college? Yep, we're going to tackle it all next week. Hey, Brave Writer listeners, it's Natalie again from the Brave Writer team, and I have another five-star review for you. And this one comes from Eratolop. Love, love, love. I have been following Julie on Instagram for a while now, and it's one of my favorite accounts to follow. And I make sure I watch her stories, even if it's late at night, the only time I get to myself. Her voice, her message encourages me to keep going on this homeschool journey. Thank you, Julie. Thank you to Eratolop. Don't forget to submit your five-star review so we can share it on the podcast. Today's episode was produced by Nova Media with support from team members Jeanette Hall and Natalie Miele. 
I'm Julie Bogart, author of The Brave Learner and Raising Critical Thinkers. I'm also the founder of BraveWriter.com, an innovative approach to writing instruction. You've been listening to The Brave Writer Podcast. Until next time, keep going. Think well. I'm rooting for you.